0: Daniel chapter 7 tells us about a powerful assault against God's kingdom, about intense persecution against those who side with him, about an attempt to overturn his laws, and the apparent success of this insurrection against divine sovereignty. Let's join Dave Wordson as we discover how this conflict will turn out, and what we need to do to ensure that we are on the winning side when the end does come. What do you do the day after you've been elected the president-elect of the United States? No matter what your political persuasion, you've got to respect the fact that Obama woke up on a Wednesday morning. He didn't go and play golf, did he? He didn't uh, take time off with his family. He got up early in the morning, and he did his exercise program, Then he went to a high-rise executive building in Chicago, and he spent all day long preparing for what's going to happen in January. Why? Because on Tuesday, he got elected to what right now in the world is the most powerful position in all the world. So that's really important. How many of you think it's really important to prepare for that task? As of January... He's going to have an incredible responsibility. Now, when I was listening to the reports, and, you know, the newscasters were talking about that, and I'm sure you joined me in that, at first I was thinking, you know, well, that doesn't really have anything to do with me. In fact, how many of you might have thought that? You know, this doesn't really have anything to do with us. Well, I got news for you. The longest that Obama can be the President of the United States is eight years. President Bush, eight years ago, was getting ready for the most powerful position in the world. But today, he's almost forgotten. We need to pray for him and Laura as well, because he's still our president. Going to see that human power and influence. Eight years ago, the Republican Party was invincible. Now they're all saying this could be the end. What I'm trying to get you to really commit your life to it's not going to last just for four years and it's not going to last just for eight years it's going to last forever and ever and ever and my purpose this morning is i want you to begin to really think obama's getting ready for the little task of being the president of the united states am i getting ready to rule with my savior forever And ever, and ever. Have you ever stopped to think about the fact that you sitting in that seat, how many of you have received Jesus as your Savior? How many of you would say that I'm set apart for God because of the grace of Jesus? Do you realize that I've read the back of the book, and we win? So I want you to turn to Daniel chapter 7, because how many of you have been a little bit troubled in spirit Come on, be honest. How many of you have been a little bit troubled in spirit? And I want to show you how culturally determined it is because I have some really close friends that are African-Americans. They were crying on Tuesday night. It shows you how different the culture perspective is. They totally agree with me about abortion, my African-American friends. They totally agree with me about the sanctity of the marriage relationship. But they also are part of a culture where... A noose hanging in a tree like the Baylor students put up this week was a real thing. So they rejoiced because an evil. Maybe we took some little steps towards overcoming that. So I want you as a believer, if our Savior died because murder, thou shalt not murder. It's part of our holy king, the ancient of day's law. That the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. Do you realize that Jesus isn't of Swedish ancestry with yellow, with, with blonde hair and blue eyes? Jesus is a Middle Easterner. So one of the things I want to really talk to you about today is if we're preparing for the kingdom, then I'm following a savior that happened to be born in Bethlehem, which is the union of three continents, Europe, Africa, and Asia, all come together. And in that place of the world, the blood of all different races flow. And racism is really deep. It infected our high school this week. It infected Baylor. I have tons of Baptist roots, so we need to pray. A lot of our brothers and sisters are really hurt. But what I've asked myself, but what about my own troubled spirit? What are my reactions? What are my feelings? What I want to really challenge you to do is open up to Daniel chapter 7, verse 15, and we're going to first of all be comforted. To realize that if we follow Daniel, that he was troubled by all these changes that were taking place as he lived through the destruction of the Babylonian Empire, and they didn't have nice, gentle—you know—where the former administration gives counsel and wisdom and invites you into their house. In the ancient world that Daniel lived in, they killed the guy that came behind. Aren't you glad we made? That's good. That's encouraging. That at least we don't do that. Amen. So, look what it says, Daniel chapter 7, verse 15. I, Daniel, was troubled in my spirit. I am so glad that another father of Jesus was troubled in his spirit. How many of you have ever been troubled in your spirit? Anybody ever, when there's change, do you ever feel afraid? I do. And we're in the middle of a great big change. Lots of changes in our culture, changes in demography. We moved from the older generation being the ones that really have the power to a younger generation, at least for a time having, the, having power. That's a big change. If you're old like me, a white Caucasian guy, that's, that's a big change. That troubles your spirit. It makes you afraid. And Daniel challenges us, look at the change. Look at what's happening. And he's saying, it's okay to be troubled in your spirit. In fact, sometimes a troubled spirit is a good thing makes you more dependent it makes you pray as daniel looked at this vision that we said the last time we're together about all these nations rising and falling it scared him it troubled him as you look at your world what's going to happen with nuclear weapons in pakistan you know what is going to happen in iraq what about our own brothers and sisters that are right there you know, what about right here? Our church family faces one assault after another with physical illness, life-threatening physical illness that troubles my spirit. It just takes me down. Change. We live in a world where it's not like going to Disneyland. Man, it's, it's like being in a raging sea. Amen? Isn't it? And Daniel says it's okay to face your troubled spirit. He says, I was troubled in my spirit. And he says that the visions that passed through my mind, they disturbed me. So what do you do when you're troubled? Well, it's really good to ask for some heavenly advice. How many of you think that's pretty good advice? So Daniel says, I approached one of those standing there and asked him the true meaning of all this. So the picture here is Daniel just saw a videotape. He just saw this incredible DVD. Of lions come up out of the sea, winged lions, of bears with three ribs in their mouth. And he, he sees this winged leopard with four heads and four wings. And he sees this indescribable dinosaur-like beast with ten horns on its head. He sees one of those horns destroy three of the of the ten and then raising violent warfare against God's people, the saints. He's troubled. Man, that's a nightmare. What do you do when you face a nightmare in your life? Ask for some heavenly advice. Daniel's a great example so he comes to us today and says all right you didn't get to stand in the presence of angels you know you didn't have somebody like Gabriel or somebody like Michael sitting next to you but I did and I'm so thankful because at the end of the chapter it says that Daniel was silent about these things aren't you glad that Daniel didn't stay silent forever that he wrote it down man I really am The chapter closes with Daniel troubled in his spirit and he's pale and he's just blown away by what the Lord revealed to him. And it says he kept silent about all these things. I'm so glad the Holy Spirit says, no, wait a minute, Daniel. You need to write it down for God's people. And the very next thing this angel begins to describe to him is just incredible. The very first thing that he tells us here is, I read the back of the book. And we win. The old cathedral quartet, some dear friends of ours used to sing that song. Have you ever heard that song? I've read the back of the book. It's an old Southern Gospel song, but it's a great message. I read the back of the book. And this morning, we're going to win. We're going to win. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. Dave, how do you know that? Well, it tells us. Look, so he told me and gave me the interpretation of all these things. So the big picture first. The four great beasts are four kingdoms that will rise from the earth. So he says, first of all, those beasts that you saw rising from the earth, they're going to be four kingdoms that come. The kingdoms that came, was Babylon, Daniel started out with, then Medo-Persia he lived into. He was home with the Lord before Greece came. And then this mighty world empire with the most powerful army that have ever marched across the pages of history, the Roman Empire, they were the ones that were ruling this world when the Savior came. So Daniel's first of all told by this angel that there are four kingdoms. But but notice that he jumps the next thing and says, but the saints of the Most High, the saints of the Most High, the word saints means the ones that are set apart. The word saint in Aramaic and in Hebrew means literally that you've been set apart. Like I would say that a vessel in the temple was set apart for the service of the great I Am. I would say that a priest that served in the temple of Jerusalem, they were set apart for the great I Am. So it's not just like a Mother Teresa kind of a person. It's not just like a pope. It's not just some special religious person. It's someone that's been touched by God and has been seized by Him and has been set apart for Him and has joined Him. And if you have received Jesus as your Savior, then you have become one of those set-apart ones, every one of you. That's what Daniel's telling us here. In the Old Testament, to go back into what it meant for him, it meant Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They were three guys that were set apart. They chose to join with the great I Am, living for the great I Am, even in Babylon. They were the set apart ones. Ezekiel was also... Giving prophecies at the same time. He was one of the set apart ones. Jeremiah, not in Babylon, but in Israel, facing incredible persecution. He was one of those that believed the great I am was still the Lord of history. They still believed the Messiah was going to come. They still believed that God hadn't reneged on his promises. They believed that even though the altar and the temple in Jerusalem was torn down, that their great I am was going to work, that the people would go back after 70 years, that there would be a rebuilt temple. And eventually, you know the history. A great Messiah came to that temple. They believed that. They were the saints of the Most High. You're the saints of the Most High today. What did it say is your destiny? You say, well, man, Obama's got a big job. And, man, he needs to get up early. And he needs to work hard. And he needs to discipline himself. He needs to have real vision. But that's not me. Man, I'm just measly old, eldest County me. No, you're not. I want you to capture a vision this morning. You're a saint. You're a set-apart one. You haven't just spent two years supporting a political candidate, either McCain or Obama. You need to be spending your life, you need to be thinking, what am I doing to prepare for the kingdom? What am I doing to represent the kingdom? What am I doing to reach others so that they join me in the kingdom? That's what Daniel's saying. What does he tell us about? What's going to happen to these saints? They are the set apart for the Most High. What does that mean? The Most High is still on the throne in the world today. Do you know that? Like he hasn't taken vacation and he isn't tired and the plan that he has for the United States of America hasn't come crashing down. His plan for Israel hasn't come crashing down. His plan for Russia hasn't come crashing down. He's got a great plan. Daniel's telling you that it's still working. And the incredible thing is each one of you that have trusted Christ as your Savior, and if you haven't, I want you to to join us. I don't want you to join me as a white Republican. I don't want you to join me as someone that's just anti-abortion, that's just anti-homosexuality, that just wants to get judges on the Supreme Court. Those are limited political objectives. They're fine in some ways. But I want you to know I'm part of a movement that says adultery is sinful too. Gossip's sinful too. If you in your heart, when you looked at an African-American president and his wife said... Man, what did this country come to? They're going to be in the White House? That thought's from hell. That thought is racism and rejection of people, and it rejects your Savior because he died for someone like that. So if you're a high school student and you're a father of Jesus, you stand against that. If you're a teacher, you stand against that. That's part of our movement. My Savior shed his blood for red and yellow, black and white. I was taught to sing as a little tiny kid. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. I didn't ever sing, Jesus loves only the white children. And one of my dreams for our movement, for our church, is that the power of the Holy Spirit can help us to be red and yellow, black and white. And that's what the dream that I have. Because the saints of the most high are following a savior. And he is much bigger than anyone we could ever dream. And he's working in the world today. That's what Daniel believed in his day. That's what we need to believe today. And it said that the saints of the most high, it says that the saints of the most high are, are gonna receive the kingdom. Isn't that incredible? You're going to receive the kingdom. You know what that means? You're going to win. You're going to rule. You're going to be part of a kingdom that's not just for four years or eight years. It's not going to be a political movement that you join as a young person and then disappoint you in mid-age. It's not going to be a kingdom that you pour your life into and suddenly everything dissolves at the end of your life because people get sick that you love dearly and they die. And then there's no answers. You're part of a kingdom that conquers death. It conquers sin. It brings forgiveness. It brings hope. It brings power. It brings real change because it changes people not just in Washington but right here in my human heart and yours. We win. We have a Savior that came. Repent. Turn around. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom has come. You're part of it no time for discouragement no time for for believing and for fear it's time to get ready it's time to trust it's time to follow our savior and let him change us it's an incredible time the body of christ isn't just white caucasian evangelicals just this morning i read that we're retrenching and they evaluate our movement evangelicals, white Caucasians, they voted a certain way. I got news for you. The body of Christ that I'm a part of is dominated by people of color around the world. And it's not just a little movement. It's a gigantic movement that's conquering communist China one household at a time. It's a movement that's invading Africa and causing Africans to come to know Jesus and they need training so much so because there's so many that are coming to Jesus. It's Brazil. It's one Brazilian after another that's rising up and coming to know Jesus and you're a part of that. Our movement isn't some little movement politically in the United States. It's the cause of Jesus in the world. I want you to capture a vision of that. It, just, it hurts me to think that my unbelieving friends think that my movement is political because it isn't political until Jesus comes from heaven and rules and reigns forever. But now I want to touch their hearts. I want to put a sign in our church that says, gays can be forgiven, transformed. So can my Arrogance. I want to put a son in our church door. You had an abortion? We know the great Redeemer whose blood can wash it away and reunite you with your baby in heaven someday. That's a much bigger movement. I read the back of the book. He can. He can. We win. You are the saints. You can be confident today. You can be in love today. You can be empowered today. You can prepare today. You can go deeper into hearing the voice of Jesus. You can fall more in love with him. You are making a change one person after another. That's what it means. Jesus said, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. And our Savior, when he came the first time, said there's going to be a time when the kingdom of God is going to be within you. It's not going to be an external kingdom. It's going to be a kingdom that's inside of you. And it's going to slowly permeate the world with like a leavening influence that touches one individual after another. And you're part of the greatest, incredible forgiveness movement that this world has ever known. And one day, though it's going to be tough, Daniel goes on and shares with us. It's going to be hard. It's going to be persecution. There's going to be great opposition. So he tells us about how the saints of the Most High God, but the saints of the Most High God will receive the kingdom. They'll possess it not for four years, not for eight years, but they'll possess it forever and ever. Ever. But what about this great conflict of the nations? What about that fourth beast? The angel goes on, then I wanted to know. Daniel says, I want to know the true meaning about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying with its iron teeth and its bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured all of its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. We live in a world right now where the evil one breaks forth. There will be empires that rise up. And they destroy people. And armies march, and children and women are destroyed. Daniel's honest about that. When the Roman legions swept the world, they swept everything in its, in its way. When they destroyed the Jews at Masada, the Jews took their lives in suicide, sadly, because they knew that Silva would just mow them all down. We're having on, 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 on public radio tonight, they're going to have a Holocaust argument against God. And the basic argument will be because the Holocaust happened, there is no God. The Jewish scriptures, hundreds of years before the Holocaust, said there will be a beast that will stomp and trample and destroy. And I don't understand that. But I know my hope is the one that I'm going to be able to talk to someday because he understands. And he says, I'm going to beat it. And I want to be not part of that trampling and believing that my power and my control of others. Instead, I follow a Savior who doesn't seek through power right now, but he seeks through example and through servanthood. And he seeks to be able to open himself to others. That's what Daniel's talking to us about. But it's very realistic about these armies that march and destroy. Because so I also want to know about the ten horns, these ten Uh, kingdoms that rise from the head of the fourth beast. I want to know most of all about that little horn that's imposing, more imposing than all the others, that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. And I also watched this horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. So he's going to explain to us most of all about this little horn. The fourth beast is the fourth kingdom that will appear on the earth. That would be the Roman Empire that was ruling when Jesus the Messiah came. It will be different from all the other kingdoms. Rome was more vicious. Rome was more universal. Rome was more all-encompassing. It will devour the whole earth. Rome also is the one that cut off the Messiah. That empire was ruling. It was Pilate who was under the rule of Titus that put Jesus on the cross. Daniel's looking forward to incredibly troubling times. It says the ten horns are ten kings which will arise, and they will come from this kingdom. After them, the king will arise different. So notice, this king arises from the fourth empire. In order to understand the book of Daniel, in fact, a lot of critical scholars don't get it, is there's a difference between the Antichrist figure that rises from the fourth empire... Then the Antichrist figure that we're going to study about at the next chapter that arises from the third kingdom. Just so you know, when you go away to college, they're going to say that the four empires are Babylon, Media is second, then Persia. They make Greece the fourth one because they hold that Daniel was not writing prophecy. He was writing in the time of Antiochus Epiphanes. And they make the Antichrist just Antiochus Epiphanes in the first century. The reason I don't accept that is because I accept the word of my Savior and my Savior takes the prophecies of Daniel and says they weren't just fulfilled in Daniel's day. He applies them to his own day. His beloved disciple John says that the Antichrist is going to come and the spirit of Antichrist is already working. So if I put the scriptures together then I have to see that we're not done with just a little antigonus epiphanies. We've got a much bigger enemy that's going to come. And almost all of you have been taught well, and you know there's going to be a future leader that rises up, and I would hold from the Western nations, the Roman Greek world is dominated by the West. Doesn't mean he needs to be Romanian like it wasn't left behind. In fact, I have a lot of friends of the Romanians. They deeply resent that. And a lot of them dearly love Jesus. Maybe it will be, but I don't think so. It's going to rise from some kind of a ten-nation confederacy of nations that are flowing out of that arrogance and boastfulness of the Roman Empire that says military might is supreme. There is no God in heaven. In my lifetime, Hitler said that. I mean, a little bit before my lifetime, not that old. (laughs) But Khrushchev said that. He said, military might rules. There is no God in heaven. And so much of my life in the Cold War, I went to a ceremony yesterday that honored World War II veterans, and they stood up, and I saw the pictures of GIs holding a Nazi flag that had been torn down. So Daniel's telling you, and in your lifetime, you can see, you need to look out. Look out when... Governing, ruling authorities say there is no God anywhere in the world. Look out when they say the only thing that counts is might, military strength. Then it also tells us that this little horn, it says that he tramples it down and crushes. It said that he will subdue three kings. And look at verse 25 because this gives you an insight into what this ultimate Antichrist will be like. And the New Testament telling us that this spirit... We'll see those that possess the spirit now. It says that he will speak against the most high. So you need to pray against and you need to be really careful about anyone that speaks out against the most high. Like you live in a country where it's totally legitimate. You can speak against President-elect Obama. You can speak against President Bush right now. As an American, you should cherish that privilege. But don't speak against the king of kings. Amen? So I want you to listen to me. It's very easy for me to say, oh, if he did it. It's when I do it. When I curse. When I say Jesus Christ lightly. So one of the things as we prepare for the coming kingdom that's going to rule. If you're a wife that gets ticked at your husband and you curse, that needs to be serious stuff because out of your heart bubbles forth the core of your being. So one of the things in preparation for the kingdom is reverse the cursing. You saw those crowds on Tuesday night. Many of them with tears in their eyes. They're praising their movement. So you can understand, praise, thanksgiving. What I'm asking you to do is I want you to do that for Jesus. The Antichrist has nothing to do with that. He curses Jesus. Everybody understand that? That's what's wrong with cussing. When you explain to your kids, they're just symbols, those four-letter words and all that goes with it. You're cursing God's creation. You're cursing holy things, all those sexual things that you talk about. You're cursing a holy thing that produces children and makes our families continue. That's what's wrong with doing it. And often you use names that have to do with damnation. And that needs to be a very, very horrible thing to us, that anyone's going to be lost and separated from God forever. That's why as devoted followers of Jesus, we don't curse. We don't blaspheme. So we want to help each other. One of the things we need to do today is, Lord, I wanna, I, there's a part of me that can curse, and it just wells up inside of me. I don't want any part of Antichrist in my life. And he says this. So first of all, he speaks against the Most High. He oppresses the saints. That's why we, had, we prayed as a, as a church family today. There's a trial in Turkey right now. Believers, three precious believers were tied up and then brutally massacred several months ago. And their trial in Turkey is right now. Eighteen people were involved in it. They're indicted. And the radical Turkish Islamic movement is fighting for those 18 to be set free, which will mean that Albanian brothers and sisters that we have worked with that have free access to Turkey will face great danger. So the oppression goes on. You saw the wonders of China? And China is everything you ever heard. Sometimes there's great freedom, like the seminary where I teach at DTS with Dave Lowry. We have professors, and we, we actually are able to teach right in Beijing. In other parts of China, you will have believers just like yourself, where the way that I'm speaking to you right now, I would be thrown in jail and persecuted. That's the spirit of Antichrist. It's already working. In Pakistan... Islamic fundamentalist groups have bombed churches like ours. It's very dangerous for believers to meet together. So part of what we want to do in being loyal to the kingdom of our Messiah, we pray against those things. If you're, we, we take initiative. We're in a country that can exert influence. Part of being salt and light is that we pray for those things and then we actively take initiative. As a movement, believers really have made an influence about the persecuted church. And so we want that to increase through our church influence, through every one of our influences. So I want you to realize that the oppression that the Antichrist brings against God's people is not just something its going to happen in the future, just something that happened to happen under epiphany epiphanies. It happens now. Next thing he does is he tries to change set times and laws. He attacks morality. So I'm very strong. Homosexuality, like stealing, like lying, like murdering, is against God's moral laws. And we all need forgiveness for any of those things. So when you have parts of our culture that are attacking those moral laws and doesn't honor the life of little babies, for example, President-elect Obama... His girls are the apple of his eye. Would he ever want their life to be threatened in the womb of Michelle? See how inconsistent that is? That's serious stuff. So we need to stand against that. But we need to stand against it with the message of, I am sinful too. And Jesus is, is coming to deliver us. What do you really do about that? As we close today, I want you to realize, you know what? You are doing something about it. The abortion numbers are coming down. Have you heard that? The abortion numbers are coming down. You know why? Because of people like Tim Wallace multiplied by thousands. You know how you really deal with abortion? You train teenagers about the sanctity of sex. You train them about the beauty of marriage. You have a whole body of believers that gathers together around them and gathers together around kids that don't even have a mom and dad that care. And you have moms and dads who had a want to listen to these kids learn their verses. And you know what? The power of Jesus enters a little kid's life, enters a teenager's life. And then they marry someone that's committed to Jesus too. And you know what? They don't abort their babies. Or they shouldn't. So one of my prayers as I prepare for the kingdom, is I'm praying for the day when I can tell all of my unbelieving friends, people that are born again, don't abort their babies. I also am praying, people that are born again, you want to know how to find love in a marriage? You need Jesus. Because come to my church family. That's the place where people really keep their promises. I often want them to know it's also the place that if you've blown it by sin that the incredible resurrection power of Jesus can come into your life and you can start again. So if you've been divorced or if you've had an abortion and committed murder this morning this incredible ruler the king of kings isn't rejecting you. He's not turning you away. You know why so many of your homosexual friends are mad? Because It's hopeless they tried. And I'm not speaking from a vacuum. My own brother-in-law is dead today because of homosexuality. And my sister didn't go to his funeral and condemn them and didn't tell them, you destroyed my life. You took away my husband. You deserve to burn in hell. A preacher at the service did. But my sister stood up and said, Thanks for caring for my husband when he was dying. And my sister worked with his friends while he was dying. And my nephew and niece were there. And Betsy said, I want you to know that I hate sin my sin, and yours. But I want you to know that Jesus washes away sin. And that's our only hope. And I want every one of you to find the forgiveness of Jesus. That's why we win. Because the Most High God has chosen that the Savior that stretched out his arms for us And gave his life for homosexuals and for adulterers and for arrogant New Yorkers like me and gossipers and cursers and heterosexually immoral people. Put your pet sin in there. And he gives us a new heart. And I believe that anyone that believes in Jesus can receive a new heart. And this passage closes by saying, But the court will sit, and power will be taken away and completely destroyed of the power of Antichrist. Then the sovereignty and the power and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints. The people of the Most High, His kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, will be everlasting, and all rulers of the world will worship and obey Him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. But the Spirit of God opened the book. What I want you to realize as we close today is you might spend hours on the Internet finding out what Obama's going to do, and that's important. What I think is really important is what you do. What you do. And it's not, yes, we can. For me, it's, yes, he can. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. And I'm more excited today about the power of the redemptive, resurrected Savior than I've ever been. So Obama's getting ready for the measly job of being president of the United States. And I say that in jest. We're getting ready for the big job. Changing hearts to the redemption and resurrection of Jesus throughout this entire world. Faithful till the Ancient of Days sits in judgment and puts away injustice and puts away evil and puts away violence and war Forever and ever, yes, he can.